Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn and Love hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is a returning guest, um, Bo Bushi. Bu- say B- your last Oh, you're good. Bushai. Bushai, spelled B-U-C-H-I. Bo Bushai is back. It's, it's Swiss. So it's I, Swiss. Yeah. And um, Bo was on th- episode 347, which was with Hayden Paul talking about how to solve pornography. And that episode maybe has 20,000 that have listened to it. And Bo is a therapist and did a great job helping Hayden solve pornography and has helped so many others. And Bo is back um, to talk about other topics, and he's somebody I deeply respect. We started with a prayer. Bo is deeply committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the church, and also helping people through his therapy and through the understanding of the gospel. So he's a unique and wonderful guest. And our prayer is that the things that he shares will be helpful for you. And I'll just let Bo introduce himself for those of you that don't know Bo, and we'll just get into the, to the topics we're going to discuss. Yeah. Um, just for the sake of anyone who's listening and wants to know why why do I care what this guy has to say, I'll, I'll give you a little background so you can know a little bit more about me. So uh, my name's Bo Bushai, and um, I'm a clinical mental health counselor. Uh, I also hold a license as a vocational rehabilitation counselor, and I have a master's degree in uh, clinical mental health counseling and a master's degree in business administration. And I did a bachelor's degree in psychology at the University of Utah. Uh, As far as work experience goes, um, I've kind of been all over the place. I've worked for the church a little bit. I did some counseling um, at the DI. Uh, That was a a little brief stint. And then I did quite a few years at the state of Utah. So I did, um, I was what's called a vocational rehabilitation counselor. So that's uh, primarily uh, tasked with trying to help individuals with disabilities seek and maintain employment. So you, as a counselor, you work with them to try to help, you know, overcome any of those obstacles or barriers to be able to get and maintain employment. Uh, the majority of the time I was at the state, I was uh, the director over the uh, vocational rehabilitation program in Davis County. Um, my coworkers thought I was insane because I left that very cushy job and I took a leap of faith and just did my own private practice to do mental health counseling. Uh, I don't regret it. I've loved it. It's been very challenging. Uh, Emotionally at times it's tiring, but it's very rewarding at the same time. And I'm uh, a husband and a father. I have three beautiful children and uh, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. So there's my backstory. And you're a young guy for done all those things. Yeah. You're in your 30s? I just turned 40. So yeah, I um, really admire you following your, your feelings there and doing things that perhaps your 30-year-old self didn't think you'd be doing it for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, that, that was, uh, yeah, going out on, on a limb there. That was a little bit of a leap of faith. But it, uh, I, think, I think, honestly, um, when you get the Lord's blessing on something, you know, you'll be fine. And I, I can certainly attest that. And I would guess your 50 year old self will even have more of a feeling of why what you're doing is a good thing and led to even more things in this upcoming decade. Yeah. Um, for our listeners, I, we kind of sketched out the four topics and they, um, we may not hold perfectly to this, but we want to talk about some clinical terms, DSM, 
Um, we're going to be segment one. Segment two is ethics and lust-related issues. Um, segment three is gospel and having the importance of having gospel part of therapy. I love that one. And um, the fourth one is discernment. And with so many voices out there, as our own state conference happened today, and our state president talked about all the noise out there. And um, there's a lot of noise out there. And I'd love to have Bo, Bo share his thoughts on the spirit of discernment and making good choices with all the voices out there. So turn it over to you, Bo. Yeah. So to kind of uh, share a little bit about what prompted this um, podcast was, um, you know, there's, there's, when I say there's, when we're talking about, there's a lot of voices out there, I'll start there and then I'll dip back to the DSM. So there's a lot of people out there who, you know, have YouTube videos or TikTok videos, or they do uh, their podcasts and, and nowadays it feels like everyone's an expert on everything. And that's, that's why I wanted to go to the lengths of describing my credentials. And so that someone could go, okay, well, this, this person has, you know, actually has some expertise in this field. Um, but the reason I wanted to talk about it is because it's been hard to be, uh, to be a Latter-day Saint and to be a therapist and then to have, uh, a lot of kind of differing opinions about what it means to be a Latter-day Saint therapist. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, one of the, one of the issues that comes up is people like to hide behind the DSM. So for the listeners and anyone that's not familiar with the DSM, I'll give a quick brief explanation. So DSM stands for diagnostic and statistical manual. It is, it's the book for therapists and psychiatrists. So uh, it's the book that we diagnose out of. So in order for someone to qualify for a diagnosis of, of any sort, they have to meet certain criteria. It's not just a therapist, you know, handing out a diagnosis willy nilly, like, oh, well, you said you have depression. Sure. Here's your, here's your t-shirt that says you have depression. You know, it's not like that. It's, there's very specific questions. There's, um, basically uh, uh, across the board standard that they want us to use to say, okay, if I'm, if I'm saying this person has depression, then, you know, their doctor should be able to have a conversation with them and see the same things that I'm seeing so that we're both not just inventing our own terms of what depression is. Right. And it's, it's very helpful because uh, using depression as an example you, you don't want to label someone as having depression. You, you know, someone comes in and they say, I'm really sad. And you go, oh, well, you're sad. You have depression. And then we're going to start handing you pills or, or doing intensive whatever therapy or something. And then come to find out their grandma died last week. And you go, well, you know, we, we ought to have some minimum standard of what qualifies as depression. So the DSM is the help we get as therapists. It's the standard that says, okay, if you're, if you're qualifying for depression, it's because you meet these criteria and it should be pretty easy for therapists across the board to agree. They either met or did not meet the criteria. So that's what the diagnostic and statistical manual is. Now, the reason, the reason I'm bringing that up is because when it comes to issues related to lust, what happens is, uh, we're, we're very quick to throw around, um, the word addiction. Okay. So this is tricky because for something to qualify as addiction, you know, we're talking about in the DSM, I'm saying from the DSM standpoint, for something to qualify for addiction, they, they have very specific criteria for what an addiction is. Now I'm going to talk about pornography for a second. So pornography, um, is not in the DSM. 
So it's like no therapist could right now, as of 2021, say, I'm diagnosing you with a pornography addiction. So now this is the hard part because I'm not, I'm not in any way, shape or form saying that pornography addiction doesn't exist. And I'm going to use an example. So every few years, it's kind of like an iPhone. Every few years you come out with a new iPhone, right? And they don't say, this is the iPhone number 21. Cause last year you had iPhone number 20 and next, next year you have iPhone number 22. You know, they name them different kind of variations. Like you got the iPhone, I don't know, iPhone S or you got the iPhone, whatever. So um, the DSM is kind of like that. We're currently on the version five of the DSM. Well, there's been a lot of versions. That doesn't mean we've only revised it five times. That means it's kind of like the iPhone. We've done DSM four, we've done DSM four text review. We've done, you know, every, every so many years they come out and they say, let's update the DSM and let's change, you know, what therapist can diagnose and what's no longer diagnosable. So I'm going to give you a very simple example of this that I'll relate to pornography. So gambling uh, disorder is actually a thing in the DSM. So you, I could sit down with someone who's got an issue with gambling and if they meet the criteria, I could diagnose them of ha have basically ha saying you have a gambling addiction. Okay. Um, it wasn't in the DSM prior to 1980. So we're supposed to pretend that prior to 1980, no one had a problem with gambling or the gambling didn't exist. And, uh, you know, that families weren't being torn apart by this, or no one was going bankrupt prior to 1980, that it's just not an issue because it's not in the DSM, right? So I always joke with my colleague, I say, you know, I want to, I want the DSM that Heavenly Father has. I want the one in the celestial kingdom that's like, these are, these are, you know, what does DNC say? The truth is things as they were, as they are, and as they will be. I want that DSM because then we don't need any text revisions. We just get the solid, you know, one and done, right? We don't have the luxury. So every few years they update it. So pornography falls in the category that's in the back of the DSM that says uh, areas needing further research. Now, I don't know how much time they need to research this because it seems very obvious that society is being affected significantly uh, by pornography in negative ways. Um, Agreed. So the, the problem is uh, pornography from what I'm told, I don't have any statistics in front of me to back this up. I've just heard from conferences I've been to that pornography is actually uh, makes more money than than all of the major uh, professional sports combined. So when you have when you have a a body of a business basically that has that much at stake financially, what you see is you get a lot of competing research. So you get research on the one side that says. Hey, here's how we're showing that pornography is, is addictive. Here's how we're showing that pornography is harmful. Here's how we're showing that it's affecting society and families and individuals and especially children. And then what happens is it's not that hard to, when your pockets are that deep, to get some research on the other side that says, hey, guess what? It's not harmful. And guess what? It's okay. And it doesn't harm kids. And it's actually healthy and it's good. And, and so because of uh, the conflicts in the research, What's happened is the DSM, uh, the, the group that's in charge of writing the DSM has basically said, undecided, we're still, you know, figuring this thing out. But um, so I'm going to I'm going to pause on that for a second and kind of flip to what we were talking about at the start with so many voices. OK, 
So there's been, I felt like I needed to come on here, first of all, as a therapist with the experience and the education that I have, but also as, as a Latter-day Saint and a, and a true disciple of Christ, someone who firmly believes that uh, what the prophets have taught us forever ago about pornography is true. You know, this, this, this idea, it's, this is no um, novel idea that all of a sudden we're like, well, we're, we need to figure out whether pornography is good or bad. It's like, no, we've been told for decades now that it's not good, you know? And so we're, we're waiting for uh, the world or research to finally catch up. And I will add, you know, the, the Utah state legislature passing, uh, I can't remember what bill or whatever, but they basically said pornography was a public health crisis. I mean, I think stuff like that's a really a good step in the right direction, but I'm going to be honest with you. We got laughed at by the world for saying, Oh, look at Utah declaring pornography, a public health crisis. You know, that's unfortunate. It is. It is. So here's to kind of fast forward of why I'm even talking about this is because there's been several therapists who um, describe themselves as being Mormon therapists and that they uh, very much teach a message that is contradictory to what the prophets have taught. Prophets have taught us that uh, pornography is not okay. And uh, I can back that up as a therapist that, you know, I'm on the, I'm on the tip of the blade on on the front lines and i'm telling you i get to see the families that are torn apart and i get to see the the people who uh are are falling apart in tears just wishing they never never even touched it and and you know i i firmly believe what the savior taught and as far as uh you know he's in the sermon on the mount saying you heard it said of old times that thou shalt not commit adultery and I say unto you that if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, he's committed adultery with her already in his heart. That to break that down, that's therapy. What he just did, that's therapy. He's going to the root of the issue. And I'm, I want to talk about that a little bit. He's what he's doing is, and I'll, I'll kind of give you an example of this. It's like saying, and and pardon me for kind of, uh, I don't know, cartooning this principle, but I don't know how else to explain it. Um, I, I imagine in my mind this giant volcano that people keep falling into and, and dying. And then Jehovah tells uh, Moses, he says, uh, you know, go ahead and make a sign and put it on the top of the volcano that says thou shalt not fall into the volcano. And so Moses obeys and he puts the sign thou shalt not fall into the volcano. And then for thousands of years, people are still falling into the volcano because of course I want to, I want to peek in. You know, I, he said, he said, don't fall in. He didn't say don't peek in or, you know, I just want to see what the lava looks like, or I heard it's really pretty or whatever. Right. So for thousands of years, people are falling into the volcano and then along comes Jesus Christ and he teaches the sermon on the Mount. And he says, you know, you heard it said of old time, thou shalt not fall into the volcano, but I say unto you, and he, he goes to the top of the volcano, pulls the sign out walks to the bottom of the volcano, flips the sign around and writes on it, thou shalt not climb the volcano, right? And I, and I, I try to explain that to people with, with relation to lust because we're on this, we're on this pendulum uh, in therapy because it, it, you don't know who, from client to client, the, the feeling will shift throughout the day. And I'm going to kind of explain this. You may have one client who, who comes in that's absolutely just flogging themselves about a struggle with pornography or a struggle with any other lust-related issue. 
And that client, you're working with them to try to help walk them back off of, uh, of kind of this self-deprecation that's not helpful, right? This unnecessary shaming of self that doesn't lead to repentance. It actually pulls you away from repentance, right? So one client, I may have that conversation trying to help them learn how to repent and, and not be so hard on themselves. And then literally, it's almost whiplash. I'm telling you, Richard, it's almost whiplash from client to client Interesting. to go to the next client who then is very dismissive about it. And like, it's no big deal. Everyone in the world does it. So you got one guy who's, who's you know, really beating himself to death about it. And then you got someone else who's trying to minimize it. So I think... Uh, the reason I'm explaining it this way is because it does a lot of damage when, uh, you know, someone that's purporting to, to be a, a mental health therapist and purporting to be a Latter-day Saint, then they, they, they go on these podcasts or YouTube videos and they, they speak against the prophets and they say things like, you know, it's, it's, it's not a problem to masturbate or, you know, it's natural. That's the one I hear all the time. It's natural. And then, or they may water down pornography and they say, you know, everyone's doing it. And it's, you know, it's better than, it's better than committing fornication or whatever. And these are some of the ones that I've heard. I'm being, I'm being very specific about the examples I'm giving, because those are the ones I've heard. So I want to give you an example of how this is harmful and a real life example from a therapy session. So I had a, a young man come in and he's one that was probably the pendulum was leaning towards the side of uh, kind of minimizing. He wasn't, he wasn't one of the ones that is beating himself up incessantly. He's one of the ones that was kind of minimizing and justifying it. So he, he came into his uh, therapy session and just right off the bat pops down on the couch and says, you know, I don't know if I'm going to do the therapy anymore. I, I think, I don't really think pornography is that big of a deal. And I don't think masturbation is that big of a deal. And mind you, we'd already been, you know, several sessions in that I, I had already had him be tearful several times about how he wants it out of his life. So this is like a shift. Like, it's like, okay, wh where's this coming from? And he says, well, I listened to a podcast and they said um, that nowhere did God say that uh, sexual sin is like murder and it's just the opinions of prophets and it's not real and that we've just really dramatized it. And I said, okay. So what, what does that have to do? Like, tell me, what do you mean? Like, why, so why is that all of a sudden, like, you're, you don't want to try to overcome this anymore? He goes, well, you know, I just feel like we're, you know, the prophets are really shaming and, and telling us that it's like murder. And I said, well, do you understand the context of why they're saying that? And he goes, no, I think it's ridiculous. I think it's nothing like murder. He said, he looks at me and he says, so you're telling me that uh, me viewing pornography is the same as murder. And I said, no, don't, don't say that. I didn't, don't put words in my mouth. And I said, I want to explain why there's that correlation. And, 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 and this is the example I want to use because maybe it's helpful for someone listening to this. Okay. So I told him, I said, you know, there's only, there's really only two sins that I'm aware of that you can move a, a human soul from one sphere of existence to another. Murder is one of them. You know, you, you take someone's life and you can put them in the spirit world and you did not have God's permission to do that. And the other one is sexual sin. You can. I was going to say abortion. Yeah, abortion too. But like the, the, the sexual sin, like, you know, you, you, you move a spirit from the spirit world to here. Yeah. And if it's not sanctioned of God, and he's been very particular True. and specific about when and how that's allowed to happen. 
And I said, so when a prophet's saying it's, it's as grave and serious as that is because it carries a ton of consequence and implications. But the problem, and this is, this is the problem I'm seeing a lot is we don't, we don't allow uh, society, society doesn't allow for a lot of nuance. We don't allow for like looking at both sides of the coin. So we say, oh, it's like murder. So you're saying I'm a murderer. And then that's the end of the conversation. Or we say, you know, we kind of, we kind of want someone to push us to one camp or the other, like saying, you know, either, either I'm this horrible person because I've done pornography or it's no big deal at all. And don't bother me about it. Instead of like the middle ground, which is, you know, you're, you're not a horrible person. You actually have sexual desires like every other human being that's God has given those desires to and, and not, but, and he expects you to learn how to bridle them, you know? Good. So I don't know. Do you, um, that's great. I love that. Yeah. So I, I wanted to give that as an example because I'm seeing that with, um, especially the, the issue related to the DSM. So I'm going to tie it back to the DSM again. So what happens is, um, sometimes people will say, well, you, you shouldn't be treating pornography then because pornography is not in the DSM. Well, there's, uh, the precedent in our profession is, um, to help people and to do no harm. It's a, it's a creed across pretty much all medical, uh, professions. The idea of, you know, if someone's coming to you, you should actually help them. The idea is not to hurt them. Right. Well, how, how ironic is that, that someone could come to you and say, Hey, can you help me out with this problem? And then you would say, Oh, I'm sorry. I can't because, uh, Oh, you have a gambling problem. I'm sorry. It's 1978. And there's, this is not in the DSM. So anyways, see you later. You know, it's, it's ridiculous, right? To use that as the argument of why you shouldn't be able to treat someone for pornography related issues or any other lust related issue is asinine to me. It's ridiculous. So I, I would argue that the, I would argue that the opposite is actually true, that to be an ethical therapist, you actually need to help people with the issues that they're coming to ask for help with, you know, whether it's an, any, a diagnosable uh, disorder or, and, and to be honest with you, the DSM does give us some leeway where you can say, you know, this is something we're looking at, or this is something that's uh, hasn't been ruled out yet, but it's, you know, and, and even some, some fuzzy categories, like a phase of life disorder, like just this person's trying to figure out something in their heart. And we have, we have category provisions for things like, um, you know, interpersonal conflict, you know, things like that. So I don't know. I just, I wanted to be a therapist voice saying it absolutely, it absolutely is, uh, okay to treat someone for pornography and for masturbation. And I want to talk about masturbation for a second. So the one I hear most often with masturbation is they say, well, it's, it's normal. It's, uh, even, I even had people tell me it's, it's healthy. I want to tell you one conversation I had with a young man. So, uh, this young man came in and he, again, he saw, I don't know if it was a YouTube video or a podcast, but he had come in and he said, uh, we had done therapy. I, I should give you a little bit of a backstory. So we did a bunch of therapy for pornography and masturbation. And then he uh, got that out of his life, went on his mission. Years later, after his mission, he, he purposefully sought me out and said, I just want to let you know 
how dare you treat me for pornography? And he had told me that he's, you know, no longer feels that pornography is a problem, uh, meaning that it's problematic behavior. Like he's saying, you should not have told me anything was wrong with you in pornography or doing masturbation. And so I, I started having a conversation with him a little bit. And I said, I said, no, I, I, I very much treated you for what you wanted to be treated for. You came in and you asked to be treated for that. And I treated you for that. Um, obviously he's changed his views since then, but one of the comments, and I'll never forget this, he said to me, and, and I'm going to speak a little bit as uh, a Latter-day Saint here as a disciple and not just a therapist, but um, anyone who's come to therapy with me knows that uh, my, my discipleship is not hidden. Um, I have no problem talking about the gospel with clients who, who want that. And um, he said, well, I've, I've read a bunch of research online that says masturbation is healthy and it's, it, you know, a man should ejaculate every so often because it's, it releases the seminal fluid from the prostate. And in order to have a healthy prostate, that if a man's not in a relationship where he's sexually active, he should at least be masturbating once a week. And that's what the research said in order to have a healthy prostate. And I looked at him and I said, and he, and he basically was saying, you know, how dare you tell me to not masturbate when it's having me have a healthy prostate? And I said, well, the, the bigger issue for me is that when I get up to judgment day, I'm not going to have a conversation with God about the health of my prostate. He's going to have a conversation with me about whether I learned how to master lust and I could bridle my passions. So yes, the research might be indicative that uh, a healthy prostate ejaculates regularly, but to be honest, I'm not sure Heavenly Father really cares how healthy my prostate is. I know that he cares a lot about how healthy my spirit is, you know, and that was kind of the, 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 the example that I wanted to give of how I'm seeing like this, this issue coming up. And this, this young man didn't come up with this on his own. In further conversation with this young man, he's telling me um, there's, there's a lot of voices out there. And that's what kind of the original conversation I had with you about when, when I reached out and said, you know, Richard, I'd really like to get on the, on the podcast again and talk about this is because there's so many, especially youth that are so susceptible to, uh, you know, willing to lay down their testimony after watching a 30 second TikTok video, or they, they, they fall into these, you know, there's a million, I don't even know how many, a million YouTube channels and podcasts and, and everyone's an expert on everyone, everything, and everyone's got their three magical steps of how to live a better life. And, and I, I think it's interesting because, you know, we, we just had a prophet of God say not too long ago, it's not going to be possible to survive spiritually without the, and he, and he was, I'm misquoting, I'm not reading it. I'm just quoting as best I can remember, but he said without the, maybe you could help me. Do you remember what the quote was? Just you got to survive. Yeah. He says he's not going to be able to survive spiritually without the comforting, directing, and sustaining influence of the Holy Ghost, something like that. And I apologize if I didn't quote it perfectly, but the gist of it was, you know, how, how do you expect to survive the latter days if you, you don't take the Holy Ghost as your companion? And I think, I think sometimes in principle, we, we say that and we kind of, we nod in Sunday school and we go, yeah, yeah, I should have the Holy Ghost with me. And then we abandon it when it's Wednesday and I'm, and I'm listening to a podcast or I'm, I'm watching my favorite YouTube channel or whatever. And, and then it's no longer about, you know, Hey, what is truth? And, and what is 
especially for on an issue like this, like what is the Lord wanting me to know about my path of recovery and my personal relationship with the Savior and how am I doing with overcoming lust and 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 trying to winnow through? I'm going to tell you right now, you are swimming upstream if you think you can just casually uh, expect the world to teach you how to overcome lust. You know. Love that segment. I agree with Bo, and that's what we taught in our YSA word. It's what I believe. I believe. Um, I like what Bo said about this range of feelings that people feel with pornography, some that um, it's not healthy because they're so dark about it and they believe that they're just outside of Heavenly Father's love, unsavable, the shame just keeps them in the cycle. And then others that you talk about that feel there's no sin there. And, and so I love, I think, I, lo I think as a leader, as a parent, as a therapist, you need to kind of understand where people are on these so you can help them without just a uniform solution yeah. and sort of spend some time listening to understand their feelings on this. And I found some YSAs and Bo and I are kind of coming this from two different um, backgrounds, but the same conclusion. I as a YSA bishop helping men and women and Bo as a therapist. And we certainly saw the same sort of issues. Um, so I think one of the things that Bo is really good at and one of the things this podcast is trying to accomplish is talk about these tender topics in faithful ways. Because as Bo points out, there's a lot of people outside the church that are willing to talk about these subjects. And we need to learn to talk about these in our homes and in our churches. Fathers, I wish I'd done a better job. My kids are older now. They're out of the home. I wish I had talked more clearly about some of these things to my sons and daughters. And so I'm glad Bo's on the podcast to give all of us perspective to talk about these. And if you're working through these, I think I, our prayers, the things Bo's sharing will help you um, better align yourself with Heavenly Father's will and better move forward in your life and lean to the things that you know. I think at the end of the day, most of you know what truth is. You know where the source of truth is. Those of you that have roots in the Latter-day Saint faith, I think at the end of the day, you know where to find truth. And you've, if you're a return missionary, you've taught that you've seen it. You've seen what you've taught bless other people's lives and the joy that comes in their lives is aligned with the teachings of the gospel. So I think we both invite you to remember, um, but be kind to yourself as you're making your way forward. I think part of making your way forward is just learning and growing. I sometimes would tell the YSA's ladder. It's sort of sometimes three steps up and a step back, but if you can learn from the step back, I invite you to take a step back, but if you can learn from the step back and make your way forward, that is often, I think, where full recovery occurs. And I'm grateful for people that reach out to therapists um, because of their unique skills to help people. I have people like Bo. When I was a YSA bishop, I didn't know Bo then, um, but there's a role for therapists, um, LD, you know, therapists that... Um, come from the background Bo does that hold the values that Latter-day Saints have that are helpful in this whole process. Can I so, build, can I build on something yeah, we were just talking about? Just, yeah, go for it. Um, so I, I want to preface what I'm saying by telling a little bit of a, a little backstory real quick. So one day I was sitting in the kitchen helping, I have two sons and I have a daughter, but I was helping the one son with some math homework and my wife was uh, doing something in the kitchen. I believe she was making some sort of, from a six-year-old perspective, uh, my son who's six, was six at the time, from his perspective, some disgusting fish, okay? So she's cooking tilapia or salmon or something. 
and I'm and I'm watching this conversation unfold. He comes in the kitchen and he says, kind of smelling the fish. Hey mom, can I have cocoa puffs for dinner? And I, of course, I'm, I now they now have my attention. I'm gonna say, oh, let's this ought to be interesting, right? And so my wife says, no, sweetie, we're having this. And he he's, oh man. And I watch as he's kind of running out of the kitchen, he looks over his shoulder and gives mom this parting shot. He goes, you hate me and runs out of the kitchen. Okay. And then I hear my wife say, come back here. And so he comes back in and, and I know better than to get in between a mama bear and her cubs. So I'm just going to watch what's about to happen. And I see my son come in and he knows he's, he knows he's not okay to do that. So he comes in, he's got his head down and I see my wife and she stoops down. She gets on her haunches down on his level and she, he's got his head down. She picks up his chin, doesn't say anything about dinner. She just kisses him on the forehead and says, nope, I love you. And without missing a beat, he says, so I can have Cocoa Puffs? And she goes, no, we're having fish and broccoli and rice for dinner. And then again, out of the kitchen, and he looks over his shoulder and says, you're the worst mom ever. And so I go, okay, we're going to do this again. So we're having this conversation. I'm, I'm using this example with my young son to illustrate a point here related to these, to these issues. We're so often like that. Like someone tells us that something we're doing is sinful and we go, you hate me. And then someone goes, no, no, I actually love you. And we go, okay, good. Then it's fine. Right. And then we go, no, that behavior you're doing is not okay, but I still love you. Well, it can't be one or the other. You know, it feels very juvenile to me. It feels like the, the friend in third grade that told me we couldn't be friends because I like the 49ers and he likes the Denver Broncos just feels, you know, we want this dichotomy of, of, well, if I'm, if you're going to tell me, um, if I'm going to have this problem and I want to, I'm going to bring this back to a psychological principle. If I, if you're going to tell me I have this problem, then that means I am the problem. And I'm, I guess I'm this horrible person. And I guess every conversation we have is you being mad at me and criticizing me or whatever, or I want you to move it to the camp of, uh, just tell me it's fine. And then I'll, I'll, I'll be your best friend ever. So as therapists, and I'm going to, I'll pull this back into therapy. So when I graduated, so I went, I did my master's at Virginia Commonwealth. This is uh, Virginia Commonwealth university in Richmond, Virginia. And the like graduating class, you know, we, we had a professor that was kind of like, you know, sending us out into the world, like her little, her little birdies that are now ready to fly. Right. And she said, you know, and this is a woman who was a, a 30 year therapy veteran who then retired from therapy and became a professor and finishing out her career like that. Um, and she, man, she said something that I think impacted me more than any other, any other thing I learned in school, really. She said, um, kind of boldly and, and confrontationally, she goes, you know, the vast majority of you are going to be pretty, uh, mediocre, if not useless therapists. And, you know, obviously hearing that you'd go, oh my goodness. Right. And then she said, the reason is, is because most of you will just tell your clients what they want to hear. So they'll keep coming back and giving you money. And she said, the others of you, those of you who decide to actually try to help people, 
are going to get fired a lot. That's cool. Yeah. Now, I am not the type of therapist that tells people what they want to hear. And I can attest to the fact that that is, that has absolutely been true in my career. I've been fired many times. And the reason is, is I want to talk a little bit about that principle that I just talked about with my son in the kitchen with the fish. We, we've lived in a society that's been conditioned. You know, we've, we've, we've all been good little Facebook students and we've learned that you can't dislike anything. You have to like everything and everyone needs to approve of you and, and approve of every thought you ever have. And so it, it becomes tricky when we're talking about behavioral modification or we're talking about repentance, if you want to talk about it in a gospel standpoint, because then, you know, I, I, I don't really like you telling me that I need to change. That makes me uncomfortable. And then I don't know if, if I really want to do that anymore because it's much easier just to get a lot of thumbs up where everyone tells me that my behavior is fine. Right. So I want to talk about what happens. You, you mentioned the pendulum and I want to talk about the psychology behind the pendulum. I'm referring to the pendulum of how we said people, um, either flog themselves and they're so hard on themselves about lust related issues, or they, they minimize it and, and try to make it, you know, go away that way. So, I want to be clear. I think both groups are doing it because they truly believe at the heart of hearts, it will help reduce the feeling they're having, right? Like maybe if I, maybe if I'm hard enough on myself that, that I can beat myself up hard enough, then maybe just maybe this will go away. Right. And the other one is, um, you know, if, if it's, if I decide that it's no longer a sin, or if I decide if you're looking at it from, not from a religious standpoint, but from, or a spiritual standpoint, if you're looking at it from just a purely behavioral standpoint, if you say, if I decide that this behavior is no longer problematic, then guess what? It's not an issue, right? And so that that is actually called dissonance reduction theory. Dissonance, not distance. I should say that clearly. Dissonance reduction. I'll kind of explain how that works. So I know you can't see me on the podcast, but if I raise one hand above the other and the the, the upper hand represents the thing I believe to be true, and the lower hand represents the behavior I have. So for example, if I, if up here, I believe that uh, the standard is that I believe that pornography is not okay. Whether it's a spiritual standpoint, I believe it's a sin, or whether it's a, a behavioral standpoint where I go, you know what, it's causing problems in my marriage. So my belief is that it's not okay, but my lower hand over here says, uh, I, I do it and my behavior doesn't match up with my belief. So that gap between my two hands, the gap between what I believe and what I do is very uncomfortable. That gap creates dissonance, not distance, even though there is distance, it's dissonance. And that gap is uncomfortable. We don't like it. And so what we want to do, human beings, we want to reduce the gap. So what happens is there's only two ways to reduce the gap. One is I raise my behavior to meet the belief or standard that I have accepted, or two, I lower my standard to meet my behavior. Either way, dissonance is reduced, right? So uh, really what you're seeing with that pendulum is kind of uh, the dissonance reduction being manifest. So you see someone saying, well, if I, if I beat myself up and if I'm hard enough on myself about this issue, maybe then I can raise my behavior and force it up to meet the standard that I believe, right? 
And then on the other hand, the person who's saying, you know what, pornography is not a sin or it's natural or pornography is not a problematic behavior. If you're talking from a therapeutic standpoint, they're reducing the belief to try to match up with the behavior. And if they do, then dissonance will disappear and they can feel better, right? So the problem with both of these is neither one of them uses the atonement of Jesus Christ. Neither one of them is true repentance and neither one of them is actually healing. I love that. So I want to share one quick scripture that has to do with this. I just want to just say, I, I love the Book of Mormon, especially as a therapist. I love the Book of Mormon because I, I know the, the psychology and the, and the psychological principles, and they are everywhere in the Book of Mormon. This, this very principle we're talking about is in the Book of Mormon. I want to read you the scripture. It's Alma 42. Uh, it's him talking. Alma's talking to his son, Coriantum. What's his name? Coriantumer? Coriantor? Coriantum. Coriantum. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So here's the scripture. And now my son, and, I'm, and I would say anyone who's done this dissonance issue that I just talked about, about either beating themselves up too hard or about not being hard enough on themselves, because really that's what we're talking about. You, you, you weren't hard enough on yourself. You, you said, it's not a big deal. It's not a sin. And in the other camp, you said, you're, you basically are the worst sinner that's ever lived. And you're like, I'm going to say it kind of in a funny way. God, I'm so good at sinning that I'm the professional sinner. You, your atonement can't touch me. Yes. I believe you can, you can save other sinners, but not me. I'm the best sinner. You can't, you can't touch this. Right. So there's your pendulum, the two extremes. So here's his advice to his son. And now my son, I desire that you should let these things trouble you no more and only let your sins trouble you with the trouble that shall bring you down unto repentance. And he, and he, he, he goes on to explain uh, basically like this, this, the whole chapter, I would, I would say anyone who's wanting to know about this Alma 42, it's amazing. Alma 42 is a chapter on dissonance reduction theory. There you go. Straight from the book of Mormon. So it's interesting because he's telling his son, okay, don't let him trouble you too much. And then he's saying, but do let them trouble you. Well, why? Because if I don't have, now think about this. If it doesn't bother me at all, then what's my motivation to change? You know, there's a point where guilt is healthy. There's a point where feeling guilty about something. And I'm, I want to, maybe I should put in a little plug about this. Um, we, we have this, uh, the, ner the nervous system, for example, I'll, I'll use that example. The nervous system, if I put my hand in a frying pan and, and you know, obviously I'm going to burn my skin. Well, the idea is that my, the pain that's being caused by this hot frying pan is, is actually not the problem. The pain is actually a huge part of the solution right? The pain is what's alerting me to pull my hand away. If I left my hand in the frying pan and felt no pain, boy, it'd melt into a puddle of goo after a while, right? But the, the truth is, we sometimes look at uh, feeling guilt as if it's the problem. We go, okay, I did, you know, I watched pornography and I feel guilty. How do I make the, the guilty feeling go away? No, the, the guilt is not the part you should be worried about making go away. The pornography is the part you should worry about making go away. The guilt was just the, the spirit's nervous system, if you will, 
telling you, hey, this activity you're doing is harming me. I don't like this. Let's not do this. So just like you wouldn't say, oh, there's a problem. My, I felt pain when I touched the frying pan. No, that pain was very useful. First of all, the pain told you to pull your hand away as quick as you could. And then when it still hurt, that pain told you to put your hand under the cold water of the sink. And if it still hurt, that pain told you to go to the doctor and get some professional help. That pain was very helpful along each step of the way of helping you quote unquote repent in the, in the medical sense for the, for the sin of touching the frying pan, right? So obviously if I, now pulling that over to dissonance reduction theory, if I say, well, well pain is the problem, therefore I got to figure out how to stop feeling pain. That's really what we're saying when we're saying like pornography is not a, or any lust related issue is not a sin. We're saying, how do I, how do I make it so I can still do this? How, how do I make it so I can still touch the frying pan without feeling pain? Well, you can't. Frying pans are hot and your skin is going to melt. So uh, on the flip side, the other person goes, they're so focused on the pain that they're like, to use the analogy, they'd be saying, oh, I'm such a stupid person. I can't believe I touched the frying pan. What an idiot. And it's like, you're, you're not actually like going to the sink and putting your hand under the cold water because you're too busy calling yourself stupid. See how like that's not help. Neither one of those are helpful to like solve the problem, right? Does that make sense? How I'm explaining that was a great it. Great analogy. Yeah. So, and I think that's that's part of the problem with again tying back into paying attention to which voices you're willing to listen to. And and there's not a there's not a young man or a young woman alive right now that doesn't have multiple influences in their life through their social media apps and and YouTube and TikTok and and podcasts and, and, and everything. So uh, I just think it's important to, to for, first of all, I want to be one who's going to speak the truth and say, guys, this is, this is what's happening. You're not, it's, it's, it's not that you've committed the unpardonable sin because you viewed pornography, but yes, it's a, it is a very serious sin and it's a very serious sin because of what it leads to. You know, you can't, you can't mince with the words of the savior when he says, Hey, like I'll give you a couple of scriptures to think about. So when he says, uh, going back to the Moses volcano analogy, he says, you, you heard it of old times, thou shalt not commit adultery. And uh, I say unto you, if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, he's committed adultery with her already in his heart. We, we make the mistake of going, if you're the guy who's the beat myself up guy, you hear Jesus's words and you say, Oh, see, I guess I'm an adulterer, you know, all hope's lost for me. And it's like, no, do you understand that he's, he's telling you several times in the sermon, if you don't want to become a murderer, then become the type of person that doesn't get angry because the chance of you murdering someone increases dramatically when you're angry. Right. And he's saying, if you don't want to be the type of person that cheats on your wife, then don't lust. Because the odds go up dramatically when you lust, you're going to practice those thoughts and that's the path it's leading towards, right? But it's, it's not helpful for the, the guy who hears that and goes, oh, I guess I'm an adulterer already. And it's like, that's not what, that's not what the Savior was saying. Love He's that. saying, go do the psychology behind it and go to the root of the problem, right? Another, another scripture that comes to my mind is, you know, when he says, um, if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, he shall deny the faith and he shall lose the spirit. And if he shall, if he, if he does not repent, he shall be cast out. 
Like these are the words of the Savior. Like you're not, he, he, you don't get to have the nickname. His nickname is the truth. You don't get to have the nickname of the truth if you're just, you know, spouting off willy-nilly saying whatever. Like he's he's telling you that if you're engaging in that behavior, you're going to lose the spirit. You know, and obviously uh, losing the spirit contributes to denying the faith because you need the spirit to help you continue to develop your faith and understand the gospel. And 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 obviously the idea of him saying, and if you repent not, you shall be cast out. Well, that kind of comes full circle to the first scripture of him saying, you're you're gonna commit adultery if you stay on this path, you know? And I think I think sometimes it's it's helpful to talk about the seriousness of it, but I, I never talk about the seriousness of it without also talking about the both sides of the coin because I don't know who my audience is. Yeah. I may have one young man who's who's the guy who's beating himself up, and then I may have the next session another young man who's the guy who's minimizing it. Yeah. You know. Love that. Sorry, I kind of went off on a on a on a tangent. <laughs> I should have let you talk if you wanted to. This is really helpful, Bo. Um, I wish I'd kind of known you back in my YSA days and could have YSAs working to solve these things, listen to the things you're teaching. It's it's very practical. It's very helpful. It's very faith-based. It's consistent with our doctrine. Um, so I'm glad that you're on the podcast sharing these because there's a lot of people looking to put these challenges behind them. Talk about how the gospel, you know, in this last segment, talk about how the gospel being part of therapy is important. Yeah. So I I firmly believe that uh, the gospel and the atonement of Jesus Christ is the only thing that changes people, that actually helps people repent and change and modify behavior. I don't think that, uh, you know, we, we talk about like, oh, you know, what else you got is kind of the feeling I get when I talk to some people. It's like, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't want a therapist that's just going to tell me to pray and read my scriptures. What else you got is kind of the feeling sometimes. And I, I would say um, nothing, I, in all the schooling, I listed my schooling at the, at the start. I will tell you, I've never learned anything except for from the Holy Ghost, even in school. You know, before I, before I went back to school, my, my father gave me a blessing and he, in the, in the Father's blessing, he said, I bless you that while you're in school, you'll be able to discern the truth that you're taught from the error. And I, I remember in all of my schooling having moments where the Holy Ghost would whisper, you need to remember that it's that's going to be helpful for people. And other times the Holy Ghost would prompt me to say, that's not true. That, that information that's being shared is not true. And so I'll, I'll touch on discernment and then I'll come back to, to therapy. The reason I say that is because... Um, I don't, I, I, I think it's sad that sometimes we've, we've gone so quick to that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't tell me to pray and read my scriptures. I, I just showed you that dissonance reduction theory is in the book of Mormon. I can show you, I can show you 20 other, 20 other major psychological and philosophical principles that are in the book of Mormon. And I didn't know that when I read the book of Mormon, when I was 12, you know, but I've discovered them after going to school and I go, are you kidding me? Father Lehi solved the problem of evil that all these philosophers are talking about. And so I think it's, I just want to say this, I think it's sad that some Latter-day Saints are so quick to dismiss the gospel as an option in their healing. Um, as far as uh, therapists go, you you ought to, and I'm not the, I'm not the right fit for every single person. You know, I, I have a style and, and I have some people that go, hey, you know, this isn't going to work for me, and that's fine. I'm, I'm not offended. And I have other people that go, man, this is what I'm looking for, right? But 
you you ought to very much pray about your therapist. You ought to very much use discernment to make sure that it's helping you. And if you're a Latter-day Saint, you know, I would I would just say, find the atonement, find the Savior, you know, and there's nothing that's, uh, at least that I'm trying to do as a therapist that's contradictory to using the atonement. You know, I'll, I'll take uh, psychological principles and I'll figure out how it fits into the atonement because we believe that all truth is circumscribed into one whole. I mean, that's our thing. We're, we love truth, you know, so if I can find truth in, in a psychological principle, it's not hard for me to find a, a way to correlate it and, and find it in the scriptures. And that's what I love doing is I love finding the principle in the scriptures and saying, here's how it's helpful to you. We just did it today with, with Alma 42. But um, as far as uh, this kind of division that's taking place right now in the world between, you know, therapy needs to be therapy and religion needs to be religion, I completely disagree. I think that uh, God is in everything. I think that if, if someone is sincere and wants help, that he can show up in your therapy session. And if someone is truly seeking him, they'll, they'll find him. Um, I pray uh, every morning before therapy sessions and I ask the Lord to bless me, to help me in my therapy. Because I, I think, you know, this is a very sacred thing that someone's coming in with their hard-earned money and they want to have a therapist that's going to be able to help them. And, and I've had family members that have struggled with mental health issues. And I think, man, I'd hate it if I, a loved one of mine was uh, needing help and the therapist phoned it in or the therapist knew something of truth but didn't share it and that's why that's why i gave the example of my professor saying you 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 have a choice you're going to be the type of therapist that just tells people what they want to hear which by the way i think is is very cowardly you know to just pacify people and just tell them to to use dissonance reduction in that way it's shameful just to say, yeah, yeah, let me make you feel better about your sin or about your weakness or about your struggle so that you don't actually have to do the hard thing. Like, to me, that's shameful. Um, but it's it, on a side note, it's interesting because back to discernment, and I know I'm bouncing all over, but to me, they all feel tied. Notice in the Book of Mormon, every one of the Antichrists uses flattery. You know, the idea of telling people what they want to hear. That's what my professor was really talking about. Flattery. I'm going to, I'm, you're going to come into my office and I'm going to tell you the truth, whether you like me or not. And some sessions are going to end poorly. And I've just kind of accepted that. And, and I got to be honest, I'm way more uh, concerned about offending God than I am about offending another person, you know? And I, and I think if it came down to it, like, you know, I want, I want God to know I love him. And I want God to know that the best way that I tried to help the person is by loving him and by loving them. But sometimes, and this is this is the problem, is sometimes that means I have to love them enough to tell them something hard that they don't want to hear. And that doesn't always go smoothly. You know, not every session ends with a with a hug and thanks so much and you're great. You know, a lot of sessions end with me telling the thing that that is the truth that I would have told my little brother or I would have wanted someone to tell me if I was there. And it doesn't always go that route. I know in episode 347 with Hayden, who was working to solve porn, recognized it was a sin, recognized it was something he wanted to get out of his life, that you really helped him in a way that no one's helped him before. And 
that YSA stake president knew you and knew you could be helpful to YSAs in that stake. And I think that's part of it is um, the things you taught him and in a kind of a bold way. I don't know if Hayden used that word or used that word, but it was very much of not just wanting to have Hayden hear the things he needed to hear, but the things or he wanted to hear, but the things he needed to hear. Yeah. And he wanted to hear those things so he could put this behind him, even if it made him uncomfortable at times, even if it made him work, even if it made him stretch ways that he didn't know he could stretch. But to be able to solve that is you were a key part of that process yeah. in the atonement and the other things you're sharing. So I love that. And I think it's a great principle for all of us to have people in our lives that help us be better and not just people in our lives that help us feel good about ourselves. Yeah. So when well, I yeah, and go back to you, one, one quick, just little thought on that, you know, you, you think about, and I just want to, I want to, I guess, bear a little testimony about the prophets too, because if you, if you really think about it and you say, if the object of the, of the prophets was just to get more members or just to get uh, more tithing or whatever, of course they would just share messages that, that are pleasing to the world. Of course, they would just stand up and say whatever people wanted to hear. You know, why don't we just say pornography is no longer an issue? And how many more members could we get if we just said that, you know, and whatever, right? And there's a lot of issues like that. But comparing that to what my professor said, saying, you know, you, you really do have to kind of gut check yourself and say, am I going to live with true ethics and live with true integrity and say, I'm going to help people even if it's telling them things they don't want to hear. That's a big, that's a big deal. And then compare that to the core, uh, core horrors and the knee horrors and the sherems that are saying, you know, the, the message is very uh, pacified. The message is, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow will die. God will, God loves us all. And he'll, yeah, he may beat you with a few stripes, but in the end you're saved. Everyone's saved. It's all wonderful. Like nobody can tell you you did anything wrong. And, you know, and then you compare that to our prophets and apostles. You know, I, I can't, I can hardly even imagine the, the courage that it takes for Elder Oaks to stand up and say what he says, knowing that he is going to be crucified in the media, you know, and he is every time, you know, and that's, I, I think if you give that as an example, it would be really easy for, uh, relatively easy. I mean, I get there's a lot of people in the congregation, but it's relatively easy to easier to stand up in general conference and say, Hey, I just want to share a message that Jesus loves you the end, right? Now compare that to stand up and tell, share a message and say, hey, I want everyone to know that these certain behaviors are not okay, you know, or stand up and read the family proclamation and, you know, just wait for the boo birds to start falling down in and outside of the church. So I think the reason I'm saying that is because I would say to my own kids, and I would say to anyone in this in this generation who feels like they're in the flood of information and needing the discernment, I would say consider the source. I would say, you know, Nihor, Korhor, Sherem, and all the modern Nihor, Korhors, and Sherem in the world that it's, it's like uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ is going to stand up and share a hard message that people actually might leave the church over, and then the Nihors, Korhors, and Sherems of the world are going to stand up and share a message that's very agreeable. And by the way, I'm getting more followers and I'm getting more video uploads and I'm getting more sponsorships. And it's just, you, you got to consider the source. How would people contact you if they wanted to contact you, Bo? Um, so I have a, I have a, a office in Taylorsville. 
It's called Cobalt Counseling. You can find me on the on the web. Uh, my website is cobaltcounselor.com. Uh, my work phone number is 801-680-6492. And yeah, or just go to my website and you can get my address and phone number there. So. That's great. Thank you, Bo Bushai. Bushai, yep. Bushai. You got getting it. Getting closer yeah. by the end of the podcast yeah, to getting your name right. Um, really appreciate you reaching out um, and sharing your wonderful insights to lift us and bring us closer to the gospel of Jesus Christ and have better tools to help each other. So we both hope this podcast has been helpful for you. We hope that impressions came into your mind and heart on how to improve your own life. And also if you're in the position of wanting to help other people, that the things that Bo shared um, gave you impressions on how you can help others. So this is Bo and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Thank you.